Well, good morning, everybody. Good, good morning. to see you all again. I regret that Duncan is not feeling well today, but I'm certainly happy to be here with all of you. And uh, I assure you, he had a fever he didn't want to share. I'm not sure that him sharing me with you is really all that much better, but thankfully it's not about me, but we're here to study the Word of God together. So I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130, which really we just sang from the Trinity Hymnal. I see that as just one of God's kindnesses to us because we're, we're not going to look at Psalm 137, which Duncan had had planned to do, but instead Psalm 130. And this is part of a collection of psalms that we call Psalms of Ascent, and they, they begin in your Bible right after the 119th Psalm. There are 12 of them, and they were likely holiday songs that the people of Israel would sing as they went up to the feasts in Jerusalem where they would worship the Lord. So they're very, very much encouraging us to worship God and to seek after God. It's also possible that these psalms were sung by choirs of Levites on the steps of the great temple in Jerusalem, and so they seem very perfect and appropriate for Lord's Day worship like we're doing together now. I, I would also commend them to you for your own private worship if you're looking to jumpstart your devotions at home or your worship together as a family. I think you would find any of these psalms between Psalm 120 and Psalm 132 very useful. The psalm that, that Pastor Duncan was going to preach from is clearly a psalm of lament. It's, it's a psalm of people crying out to God for His mercy in their lives. And yet this 130th psalm uh, isn't really all that different. It, it's a cry out to God by a man who feels himself to be in a hopeless situation. He, he's crying out to God for, for hope for his future. And in that sense, I think it's, it's a very appropriate psalm. I, I would, would hope, and I was praying on the way up this morning, that this psalm might be of particular encouragement to any of you who are here this morning who find yourself just struggling in your soul, feeling a, a kind of hopelessness. But I was also praying that it would be an encouragement for this congregation to extend the hope of the world, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, to Athens, Alabama, and in your neighborhood. So, with all of that in mind, let's dig in to Psalm 130. I would ask if you would please stand with me as I read the 130th Psalm. This is the Word of God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord 
there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this, your holy and inerrant word. It is worthy of our attention this morning. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would be with us to illumine your word so that our hearts would understand what you are saying to us through these verses. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I read in a magazine not that long ago about a self-made millionaire named Eugene Land. And Mr. Land was invited to speak at a junior high school in East Harlem. It was an inner city school, and that particular particular community had a terrible time with students not completing their course of education. They had a very, very high dropout rate. And so they thought that if this man, Mr. Land, came and talked to these kids, he might inspire them to stay in school. So he prepared a speech which was encouraging hard work and, and dedication and good planning for the future, and he, he brought his speech in to give to a group of sixth graders. And so 59 sixth graders assembled, and he was ready to give his speech, and as he looked out at the class, uh, he could immediately sense their disinterest, and he could see in the eyes of many of them a certain apathy and hopelessness, and all of a sudden the speech that he had prepared about hard work and dedication didn't seem to really fit the occasion, so he just started to string sentences together like you, you sometimes do uh, on the fly, and, and among other things, he stammered out, you, you kids stay in school, and I will pay the college tuition for every one of them. And I don't know if he you know, was very intentional in doing that, but the words came out, and he, he said it, and it made a big impact on those 59 sixth graders. As a matter of fact, they later related that it was a moment for a few of them in their lives that everything changed. One of those students was interviewed uh, years later and he said this, I had finally something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. See, for him, it was the first time he ever had something to kind of hope in for the future. And the article goes on to say that nearly 90% of those 59 sixth graders finished school and went off to college. What, what was it they had that was different? They, they had hope. They, they had hope in something better, hope for the future. I, I think that all, all people in the world are hoping for a better future. I think it's one of the ways that every human creature can relate to, to, to each other. And we've discovered this to be true. My, my wife and I lived overseas for a few years uh, on a couple of occasions. And one of the things we've noticed, you, you can get on an airplane and you can fly to another country and you can get off of that plane and find yourself rub, rubbing elbows with people who are very different than you are. They, they look different, their language is different, their culture is different, their religion can even be different, sadly. And yet, one thing that we've noticed they all have in common is they are all hoping for something better. They're hoping for a better income, they're hoping for a vacation, they're hoping for something better for their kids, they're hoping to get out of the messes that they are in. 
It, it's something that every human creature has in common. All the people of the world long to have some hope for the future. And this psalm, this 130th psalm that we just read, is a psalm of hope. So I want this morning to ask three questions of this psalm and then find how the psalm answers the questions. Here are the questions. Number one, why do we need hope? Number two, where do we find hope? And number three, how do we get it? How do we receive hope? So first of all, why do we need hope? And the answer is very simple. We need it because of sin. But we need it because we live in a fallen, broken world. And the effects of sin in the world surround us, and the effects of sin are also evident in our own hearts. God made a good world. If you read through Genesis 1, you might, might try this. This could be a good Sunday afternoon exercise. You can read through Genesis 1 and take a pencil and just make a little, little tally mark for every time God says, it is good. God made a good world. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And yet the people that he made and he put in the world rebelled against God choosing to reject his good world and the good plan that he made for the world and do their own thing, and then sin enters the world and the whole good creation that God had made is then broken. But there's a lot of brokenness in the world because of sin. The writer of this psalm is experiencing the effects of sin. In verse 1, we read this. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord. So he, he's in the depths. The, the image is that he's, he's underwater. He's like a man who's drowning. He's going down and he's just flailing around. He's, he's crying out to, to help from God. He's, he's, he's looking for some kind of deliverance. Now, we don't know exactly what his problem is in this 130th Psalm, and I think that's on purpose. It's left very open. I, I do think that this, this problem that he's wrestling with is a problem of the soul. Because in verse 5 he said, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And I don't want to make too much of this, but... I think it might indicate to us that his struggle is something like discouragement or depression or anger or bitterness. It's, it's some kind of an internal problem in his heart or in his mind that he's wrestling with. Now, that's not absolutely the case. It, it could be that he's experiencing some other hardship that would be common to all of us who live in the world. Maybe he's sick or perhaps he's involved in some kind of relational Problem, or maybe he has financial problems. We, we don't really know. But whatever is going on in this man, he is discouraged. And, and he's, he's crying out like a man who's drowning. But the reality is that he is experiencing this trouble because there is sin in the world. Now, I'm not saying that, that all of the troubles you experience are because of your sin. Although, 
I would dare say many troubles you might experience would be because of your sin, because I could say that about myself. Imagine if we were sinless. How, how much better it would be for us when we dealt with sickness and relational problems and financial problems and all kinds of hardships that come upon us from outside. Imagine if we were sinless, how great it would be, how great it would be for us to walk through hardship when other people are hurting us and, and accusing us. It, it, it's a, clearly, we've got a big problem because of our sin, and also because of the sin and brokenness in the world all around us. But this man does seem to be zeroing in, not just on the general brokenness that we all experience because other people are sinning in the world and because the world has fallen and because there's wars in other places and because there's economic troubles and there's wicked politicians and all sorts of strange things going on culturally. He seems to be focusing in on something particular in his life. He says, my soul awaits in verse 5. He talks about iniquity, the iniquity of Israel in the end of verse 8. God's covenant people have rebelled against him. He's pleading to God for mercy. And then he says, very specifically in verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? It's an interesting thing that he says. He seems to be suggesting, Lord, I'm in trouble, and I need your mercy, and I, I can't get it on my own. I can't get the help and deliverance I need on my own because of my sin. It, it's, it's almost, you know, I'm a teacher, so when I, when I read this, marking iniquities, I just think about that red pen, you know. If, if God were to go through and grade our lives, you, you know what would happen to all of us, even the best of us? We'd all get a failing grade. If God was marking up your life, you'd fail, and, and so would I. This is a big, big problem. In fact, I would suggest it's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem in the world is sin. It's, it's the reason that when you pick up a newspaper, do we still have newspapers? If you, you look at the news on your news app and you see all the problems, this is all because we live in a fallen world. It's all because we have rebelled against God and rebelled against His good plan for the good world that, that He made. It's, it's because of sin. And, and the biggest problem then we have is in the human Heart. Why do we need hope? Well, we need hope because we live in a world, as our catechism says, that is full of sin and misery. It starts right here. I always hate to talk about science. I, you know, I'm, I live in a community where I'm surrounded by brilliant scientists, and uh, I'm sure it's not that different out here in Athens. Nevertheless, I was reading this article uh, about scientists who were studying worms. Okay, and I don't want to gross you out, but they're studying worms. And one of the things I came across in the article is that they were doing some research to try to determine how worms get inside of apples. So I hope you're not having apples for lunch, but you do know it's possible that you can chop an apple open and find a worm inside the apple. And then you can examine the outside of the apple and find no place where the worm penetrated the apple. 
And so these guys were saying that there are certain insects that will land on an apple blossom and lay an egg on that apple blossom. And then when the apple grows, that egg will actually hatch inside the apple. And the worm will eat its way from inside of the apple to the outside of the apple. So this, this is what I was, uh, was learning about. Now, I couldn't help but think that, that it's a little bit like the way sin comes into the world, right? It comes from inside and it comes to the outside. Which, by the way, I think is why this, this psalmist, and some of the older commentators think this is David who wrote this psalm. Could have been. doesn't say who wrote it. Others would say these psalms of ascent were written later. They were written during the period of exile and so on. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. We know it's inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It's given to us for our good. But the author of this psalm, he's, he's not saying, Oh Lord, deliver me from my trouble by doing something about this bad guy over here. Oh Lord, deliver me from my trouble by taking away this ache that I have in my hands. Something I could relate to. Oh Lord, deliver me from my trouble by getting me out of debt. He's saying, Oh Lord, deliver me from my trouble by not counting my sin and my iniquity against me. He knows his, his biggest problem is right in here. Jesus does the same kind of thing, talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 15. He, he says this, Do you not see, this is verse 17 of Matthew 15, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So the real reason that we are all longing for hope in this world is because we are fallen creatures. And deep inside, I think the Apostle Paul would agree with this, if you want to scan through Romans 1 through 3. Deep inside, we all know we've got a problem. And our biggest problem is with God because of sin. And so we are longing for something better. Now, pagan people, this, this produces all kinds of false religions. Worldly, hedonistic people, this, this produces their constant pursuit of pleasure and treasure. It ought, to, it ought to produce for us crying out to God like this psalmist. He knows he needs hope because he knows he's a sinner. And where do we find hope? Well, of course, we find it in God. Verse 7, O Israel, God's people, hope in the Lord. There's, there's the answer, by the way. It's, it's really quite simple. So if you want to walk out of church today and just kind of have, I don't know if you ever go in and out of church and you leave wondering what the sermon was about. Okay, here, here it is, okay? Hope in the Lord. <laughs> Hope in the Lord. That's, that's, that's an answer to all the troubles that you might be facing 
more than anybody else is facing. Let's, let's hope in the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's look to the Lord. We, we can place our hope in Him. He grants forgiveness. Verse 4, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So we might, we might be a real mess because of sin, our own sin, the sin in the world around us, but we can hope in the Lord. And even though if the Lord were to count our sin against us, we'd, we'd all be toast. None of us could stand. But nevertheless, with Him, verse 4, there's forgiveness. And He is feared because He forgives. Now this, this fearfulness here, it's, it's talking really about uh, worship. Worshiping God, honoring God, obeying God, following after God. And I love, I love its context here in this very short verse, verse 4. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You know, the reason we fear the Lord, and the reason we rightly worship the Lord, and the reason we want to obey the Lord is because He forgives our sins. Now, a lot of folks get this backwards. You, you will encounter a lot of people who get it backwards in your neighborhood and at your school and in your workplace. And it may be that some of you get it backwards, even if it's accidental, because I think we often think, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to serve at the kitty carnival and I'm going to, I'm going to read my, my Bible every morning, and then maybe I'll be worthy of the forgiveness of sins. But that, according to the Bible, is not the way it works at all, right? God, by giving us the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, which we'll get to in a moment, he, he forgives us our sins. He causes us to be born again by the power of His Holy Spirit. He regenerates us and He gives us new life. And then we fear Him and then we worship Him and then we want to obey Him. So with the Lord there is forgiveness that He may be worshipped, that He may be feared. God grants forgiveness because He is a merciful God. Verse 7 again, O Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. Love this word, redemption. Verse 8, He will redeem Israel. You know, when you redeem something, you're, you're getting something back, right? I'm trying to think of an example. You might go to uh, the theater in New York and have your overcoat on, and they've got a giant coat closet out in the lobby, and you can take that coat off, and you can get a little ticket for your coat, and they'll hang it in a closet for you, and when you come back out of the theater, you can give that ticket to the attendant at the desk. They'll give you your coat. You'll put it on. What have you done? You've redeemed it. You've gotten it back. This might even be a better one. This is from my old mentor, uh, Bernie Kuyper. So Bernie would say, it's like you go to the pawn shop with your wedding ring. Don't do that, okay? But I couldn't think of anything better. So you go to the pawn shop with your wedding ring, and you take the ring, 
And uh, I was gonna pull mine off my finger, but it won't come off. Anyway, you take the ring and you leave it there and you get a hundred bucks or whatever. Um, and then you come back later and the ring hasn't been sold and you give the guy at the pawn shop 125 bucks or whatever and you get the ring back. You've bought it back. Well, you know what God has done? He's made a covenant, the psalmist would say, with his people, the people of Israel, that he would be their God and that they would be his people. And yet they have wandered away from him. And they have fallen prey to many sins. And they've become entrapped by their sin. And enslaved. They were an enslaved nation, in fact, in Egypt. And yet God, according to his almighty power, because he is, as the psalm says, full of steadfast love, he has bought them back. He has redeemed them. They were already His, right? The Apostle tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that before the foundation of the world, Christian, He chose to adopt you. Make you His child. You already belong to Him. Then you get trapped. Trapped by sin. Snared by all kinds of things in this world. All kinds of troubles. And yet God, we can hope in Him because He is a God who buys His people back. Jesus Christ came to be the propitiation for our sins on the cross, to suffer and die on the cross, to purchase the people for God, to buy, them, buy us back from sin, to rescue us. With him, the psalmist writes in verse 7, is plentiful redemption. Now, I think this is a messianic phrase. Plentiful redemption. Because you understand that the author of Hebrews tells us that in the Old Testament, the priests would stand before the altar and they would make a sacrifice again and again, day after day after day always sacrificing. But when Jesus Christ comes and dies upon the cross for our sins, it is a once and for all sacrifice for sin. Plentiful redemption. The perfect buyback, if you will. The perfect, the perfect payment for the penalty of sin that is in the world. The perfect moment where the perfect God-man un does the damage done by the first man, Adam, that plunged us into all this sin and misery in the first place. And only God could do this. It couldn't be done by us. Remember, oh Lord, who could stand if you marked iniquities? None of us could stand. But Jesus Christ could stand, the perfect God-man. So we find hope in Him. We find hope in our, in our God. Remember Corey Ten Boom, author of a little book, The Hiding Place. She tells a story about her family hiding Jewish people during the Second World War and all the trouble that the family endured. Uh, there's a pretty good movie made in the 70s or 80s about that as well. It's worth watching. I, last, I noticed not too long ago that you could watch it for free on Amazon Prime. Um, but Corey Ten Boom, well, all the hardships she went through, all the calls that she had 
to feel hopeless and discouraged, she writes this, quote, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So you understand what we've said here so far. Well, why do we need hope? Well, we need hope because of sin. Sin is our biggest problem. It's the biggest problem that we have. So, if you're like me, I, I mean, I've got lists on my phone of to-do, there are problems that I need to solve. My to-do lists are problems to solve. I'm all the time trying to solve problems, you know, at my house, in my job, even with my family, and, and, and yet we got to understand the biggest problem we have is sin in our hearts that separates us from God. But thankfully, we, we, we can place our hope and trust in God to help us with our biggest problem. So if you want to feel better if you're underwater like this psalmist, hope in God. Hope in God. That's, that's where we find hope. We need it because of sin. We find it because of God. How can we get it? Well, we place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I've already said this, but we see it in the Psalms, so I'm going to make it a point. How can we get hope? The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. So when we cry out, we cry out to Him. Like, like this psalmist, out of the depths, verse 1, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Cry out to God for mercy. I'm reminded of the blind man in Luke 18. Jesus is going by, and he knows Jesus is going by, and so he cries out. Remember what he says? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He says it over and over. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, there's lots of prayers in the Bible, and I don't know if you've ever considered the words of that blind man to be a prayer. But you might make that a prayer. I mean, you don't have to scream it out loud like he did at the side of the road, although you might. But you can certainly whisper it at your bedside as you climb into bed or pray it in front of your wife and children as you do your family devotions at home. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. We cry out to God for mercy. And here's the good news. We, we don't cry out with some kind of unreasonable expectation. There's nothing unreasonable about crying out to God because we can trust in His Word. Look at, look at verse 5 again. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I hope. So we, we hope in God. What does it mean here to hope in His Word? Well, lots of stuff. But I'm going to make two, two big things. First is, it means to hope in the Gospel. To hope in Jesus Christ. Right? John the Apostle. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus Christ. Right? He came to destroy the devil's work. And to rescue us from sin. To offer his life up as a ransom for the forgiveness of sins. That's, that's how Jesus, Jesus Christ came to do that. He is the living word and we hope in his word. 
you know, it also means all the other promises in the Bible. This, this is the Word of God. God has given it to us. He's given it to us for our good. We are wise to hope in it. Paul the Apostle, in Acts chapter 20, he, he tells the Ephesian elders that he had taught them the whole counsel of God's Word because it's all good. There's so much hope here. You know, I was thinking this week, praying through some things that we're struggling with at our house, and I was thinking how good it is that God really, really has ultimately explained to me everything that's going on in my life right now. All right, this isn't a 21st century textbook, okay? So it's not going to tell me how to fix my plumbing problem in the basement, all right? But it's certainly going to tell me how to deal with my heart because I wonder what to do about that. You know, all the stuff we really need to know is right here. And here's, here's God, His Word. He's saying, hope in me, hope in my word. It's not unreasonable to do that. We can trust in God. We trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins that's mentioned right here in verse 4 and, and all the rest. We trust in God's character. He is, verse 7, full of steadfast love. In Him is plentiful redemption. Steadfast love. He doesn't let us down. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get sick of us. You ever, oh, I shouldn't, shouldn't bait you like this, but you ever, you ever, are you ever helping somebody and you help them once or twice or three or four times and then they show up that fifth time? And you're like, oh, you again. You know, God doesn't ever do that to us, right? Steadfast love. And this redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, it's plentiful redemption. There's no limit to it, okay? So it's not like, oh, I'm just too bad. I've done too many wrong things. I've been too hurt by other people. I could never go back. I was too hurt by those church people. I, I couldn't, couldn't do it again. I couldn't serve again. I couldn't be an elder again. I couldn't teach that class again. Now, you know, God, God isn't like that. God, God, God has plenty of grace. He's a rich, rich God. And He loves to give gifts to His children. It's plentiful. The redemption of God is plentiful. Now, notice this verse 6. It's probably the verse that you, when we read Psalm 130, you were like, oh yeah, that's in Psalm 130, okay? Because it's, there's something about this phrase that kind of sticks in our head. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now, here's the thing about these watchmen. It, it's a great illustration. I don't know, you ever lay in bed at night and you can't sleep? And you're like, ah, oh, I just wish morning would come. Or you hurt, you know, like, what's up with that, you know? Some, some of you look a little older than me. I'm trying to understand why it hurts to sleep now, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just like, I just got to get out of bed, you know, the night can seem long. And, and so we, this is a great illustration. You're just longing for the sun to come up. But something else that's great about it that that you might miss when you first read it is the sun does come up, right? It comes up every day. Every day the sun rises. And, and it is not an unreasonable expectation to lay in bed and just want the sun to rise because it will. This is what it's like to place our hope in God. We, we can trust our God. We can trust in His steadfast love. Hope does rise. He does not disappoint. He, he is there for us. 
He is the answer to all the problems that we have. And so we want to place our trust in Him, our trust in His provision, His plentiful redemption that is made available through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, for, for believers, just, just super encouraging. I think as we grow as Christians, we might begin to consider the condition of our soul and how that's a little more important than the condition of our bank accounts or the condition of our bodies. Or even, this is a harder one for me, even the condition of our relationships with other people. How's your soul, Christian, with your Lord Jesus Christ? Because He's a merciful God, stead, full of steadfast love. He has plenteous redemption and grace for you. You know, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, this is a whole other sermon. I promise I won't preach it. But you know what I think he's really saying? I can put up with anything because of Jesus Christ. You understand, you can put up with anything if your soul is safe in Christ Jesus. That's very hope-giving. Because it doesn't require all of your problems being solved right now. Because God will solve all our problems one day, right? All that is required is faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we get hope. We trust in Jesus Christ. Now, for unbelievers, and I don't know you all, but maybe, maybe you haven't trusted Christ. I just want you to understand that your biggest problem is a problem with God because of sin in your life. And for all of us in this room, you know, this means we've got an amazing purpose. You... As Grace Covenant Church here in Athens have an amazing purpose to declare the great hope of Jesus Christ, the great answer to all the biggest problems in the world, to this community. That's a wonderful thing to do. We are holding out the, the banner of, of hope and salvation. The Psalms elsewhere talk about God planting a banner so that people can flee to it for salvation. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. He is the hope of the world. I don't really know any French at all, so I probably shouldn't mention this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I wrote it down. Once you write something down, you feel like you have to do it, you know. <laughs> Maybe less notes are better for a preacher. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I, I observed that, um, you know, in America, I know this part is true just from experience. If, if we see a woman who is pregnant, uh, Especially us guys, we, we don't usually say we don't usually say anything. I I don't know why, but maybe we're just a little hesitant, you know. What if she's not? Yeah, I, you know, you're just kind of wondering. You should I, should I say any anything? So we tend to be kind of tight-lipped about it. But supposedly in France there is a saying which I won't try to pronounce because I can't pronounce it. But the the uh, translation of it is something like this: If you see a woman who is expecting, you might say, "I congratulate you." on your hope. It's interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The, the words, are they synonyms? They're at least associated. Hope and expectation, right? Hope and expectation. Well, we do say in English someone's expecting. What are they expect? They're expecting a child, but there's something hopeful about expecting a, a child. I, I love that phrase, by the way. I, I congratulate you on your hope. By the way, I, I think we ought to encourage the pregnant ladies, you know, maybe step on out there and do it, because children are a reward from the Lord, a gift from Him, a blessing. And people have known it since the beginning of time. When God said, seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. 
So there's been a great expectation, a great hope. It's, it's from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, all the way to now. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman who came to crush the serpent's head, the one who came to defeat sin, the one who came to make all the wrong things right. And now we're hoping for His second coming. We're hoping for heaven. We can place our hope in Him, and hoping in Him will never disappoint us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Jesus Christ, the hope of the nations. I thank You, Lord God, for the model of this psalm. If anyone in this room is wondering, is it okay to cry out to God to complain? Here's an example. You gave it to us in the Bible. What a gift. So, Lord, we cry out together. Some of us have got big problems. Some of our problems are small, but we all have problems, Lord. So we cry out together to You. Help us to see that You, in Christ Jesus, have already solved the biggest problem in the universe, the problem of sin. So help us to rejoice in You and what You've done for us in Christ. Help us to be reinvigorated in sharing the message of Christ with one another and with people around us. And help us to worship you, Lord, and fear you, because you are so good and you forgive our sins. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen.